0: to put you on the path to achieving your retirement goals, your money, and your plans in perfect harmony. And now, here is Michael Mansfield to help you find out how to be financially tuned.
1: Hello, and welcome to another episode of Financially Tuned Radio. I'm your host, Mike Mansfield. I'm a certified financial planner here in Ventura with the Lind Group. Got a good show today. We're gonna be talking about my new book. We're gonna be talking about some interesting insurance questions that I recently got from a client and we can't have this fun conversation without Tony Shore, my, my co-host, my good friend here. So, Tony, thank you, thank you, thank you for always joining us here. How are you doing?
0: I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. And uh, I appreciate uh, you uh, letting me hang out on the show with you each week. It's a lot of fun. I look forward to it every week. And I've been great. I have just been crazy busy trying to get everything I need to get done around the house and with the family done and uh, my work. Uh, you know, it's just uh, it's just a crazy time. Fall is always busy, at least for me. How about you?
1: You know, it is, and it's it's always that emotional thing too, where you get up in the morning and now it's dark, and you leave the office and it's dark, and so it's just that that always wears on you in a different way too. I I like Mm -hmm. the long sunny days, but I do like the cool crisp of the air from the season changing, so that's nice too.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's always good. Well, uh, what are we talking about today? I mean. this is going to be a great show. Uh, you mentioned you have a new book. Let's let's start with that. I have to ask you. Uh, not only now are you this radio star, Michael Mansfield, oh, yeah. uh, oh, of yeah, the financially tuned radio program. Now you are an author. So tell us about your book. Tell us where we can get it. How to get it. I I will be honest. I haven't read your book yet, but I want to. What's it called?
1: Hmm. Well, remember this is my my second book here. So the one that we always talk right. about in the past, uh, the wealth puzzle. A lot of people right. have called in over the years to get copies of that, and everyone's enjoyed that. And so oh, I decided I've been to there,
0: go, done that. This is a new book. This I know, is We're moving I know.
1: on. I, I was trying to, you know, you know, coach the people who are listening to understand where we're at on this whole thing. <laughs> sure. But I must have so much free time. I'm just sitting around writing books. Yeah. But anyways, you know, I'm a huge advocate, Tony, you know that, of, of really having a message, really trying to educate people on what I think is retirement income planning, and that is so much more than just picking investments. And so I took this opportunity this time to really put that to paper. In a very simplistic, consumer-friendly format, I laid out the basics of retirement income planning the way that I view them. And, you know, it was interesting because as I was writing the book and putting together the content, it was very nice because it's things that I'm always talking about people. These are conversations that I have. This is work that I do. And so it was fun to put it into a book where I could spend the time and think about it, put it in a cohesive manner, use the language to be fair that in a lot of ways I use in meetings and conversations with people. hmm. And then it came back to the beginning, you know, when you when you put together material for people, you always want to start with kind of that big theme, you know, what are why, why are we doing this? And then you really refine it into the details of it. And so once I had put together the content of it, I had to really think about the why and which which, you know, led to really chapter one. Why am I writing this book? What is it all about? And, you know, I'd come across some some research, you know, and there's a lot of different research pieces out there. But Transamerica Research Institute in 2016 did a big fat study of of baby boomers. You know, and they came out with a survey and a study that said that less than 14 percent of baby boomers and retirees have any type of written retirement income plan. They have nothing on paper. Now, granted, these people all own investments. They own stuff. But nobody's ever put it to paper. They don't know how to use it. They don't know how that tool is working in their arsenal. They don't know when they're going to get income and how they're going to get income and what their taxes look like and their estate planning and all these different things. And so what that made me come up with is the title. And so the title of my new book here is How Your Financial Planner Failed You. And really what that is... I love the title. (laughs) And the subtitle is Retirement Income Planning Essentials. And the whole point of the title is to reinforce something and it reinforces the fact that oftentimes people call themselves financial planners, but they're not in fact planning anything. That's what that, you know, that study I just mentioned is really reinforcing is what planning is happening. Maybe your financial planner is really an insurance agent. Maybe he's really a stockbroker. Maybe he's really an investment advisor. Doesn't mean these people aren't helping you with investments. But what are they actually planning when they haven't put it to paper, when they haven't told you how to maximize your social security and your pension and your rental properties and how to take income out of your investments and the tax impact of that and how to pass it? You know, there's so much to talk about, Tony. Yeah, there's so much. And people are lacking that last couple months, what months. What kind of seminars have we been doing, Tony?
0: Uh, you've been, you've been really working hard on social security. You always you got help it. people educate that. You got it. Uh, and you touch on other things, but really you've been focusing on how to maximize those social security benefits, right?
1: I know. And you know, what's funny about that is I have people come into the office. We get a lot of first meetings that come into the office to talk about social security. And as kind of a natural thing, most people always mention, well, I've got a guy. I've got a guy. Everyone's got a guy. And it's funny, I say, oh, I mean, who's the person? Well, I have a financial planner, you know, down the road. And one of my follow-up questions to all these people that are sitting in my office is, well, hang on a second. You know, if you have a guy, if you have a financial professional, financial planner, whatever they call themselves, why are you here? Why are you asking me about Social Security? Why aren't you asking them? And I would say resoundingly, Tony, most people say, well, we've loosely talked about it and it's clear that, you know, a lot more about social security than they do. Yeah. And I, and I, you know, and that, that really you know makes me take a step back because these people that we entrust with our money, they're the stewards that are supposed to get us through the rest of our lives, get us through retirement, yeah. get us to where we need to go. And because you can't make money off your client by helping them with social security, you don't spend the time to educate yourself and find the answers and get them the solutions. Well, let's be fair. These decisions are way more important than which stock to pick. Right. You know, these are the things that impact our income, impact our cash flow, impact our lifestyle. Yeah. And I say it in my workshop, for every dollar you can maximize and increase your social security, come on, man, that's one less dollar you got to go find in your own investments. Yeah. I mean, think about it. It makes sense. You know, it makes huge sense. And people don't take enough time to maximize that stuff. Did you know statistically over 60% of retirees take early Social Security at 62? Oh, I thought it was even... To,
0: yeah, I, I've heard that. I've heard, I've heard a statistic even higher. Everybody takes it as soon as they can, but they're taking a greatly reduced benefit then, right?
1: Absolutely. And, and getting to full Social Security around 66 through age 70... Less than 4% of retirees trigger Social Security over the age of 66. Now, I'm not saying that's a right or wrong answer initially for you as an individual if you're listening, but it just says statistically, people are very emotional. They take it when they can. They're not getting good sound advice from their financial professional who had no problem taking their money. They just don't need to give them any financial planning advice. What a cool deal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Jeez. Yeah, that's that's not good. So once again, it leads back to my book. The The whole point of my book is to highlight that as a retiree, as a baby boomer, as someone who wants to be comfortable in life, you don't just buy investments. You have to plan. You have to figure out why you need to put how much money and what type of investment because you're trying to accomplish what and when. See, you know, one of the analogies I use in my book is I talk about, you know, making a car. Now. I, it was funny because on the news the other day, they were talking about a car company and they showed just kind of a, a screenshot of somebody. And this guy was sitting there and he had a had a big car shaped out of a block of clay. Now, Tony, isn't that how they initially start to make cars? They shape them. They kind of shape the big picture, make it all pretty. Yeah,
0: that's what I've heard. I've seen that before. the, the, the They start yeah, with a block of yeah. clay and they kind of, you know, cut away at them and, and uh, do a clay model first.
1: Exactly the the whole point of that is is depending on what they want whatever they're trying to decide is it a truck for what purpose is it a car is it an S you know whatever they're trying to decide they shape the big picture they figure out what they're trying to accomplish first they don't create the wheel hey, let's create a wheel this is a really cool looking wheel and then we'll figure out what kind of car we need to attach to it you know they design the big car they design the big picture vehicle and then they get to the details Once the big picture is sorted out, that's how retirement income planning works. The problem is, is when you just go meet with someone and you throw all your money instantly into some type of investment vehicle, you're, that's like throwing, that's like designing the wheel first before you even know what you're trying to accomplish. I'm going to buy this investment. This is going to be awesome. It's going to be huge, but you have no idea what the purpose of it is. The reality is you can't buy investments until you understand what you're trying to accomplish. And that's the big picture. That's what we're always talking about. And that's kind of that three-step process, right? Step one, you maximize all of your external cash flows. What does that mean? Social security, pensions, rental properties, any other external cash flow that you come in in. That's the magic money. That's the money that you don't have to pull out of your pocket every single month to exist on. And then step two, perhaps the hardest step, Tony, figuring out your expenses and expense planning is tough. You know, if you have a mortgage, how long is your mortgage good for, you know, Do you pay it on another five years, another 10 years? Do you pay it on forever? Because you want to build those things into an expense cash flows. You project out how much you need because what about inflation and taxes and all these things, as you, as you understand your expenses, you can make decisions on what you need. Now the difference between what's coming in from all that magic money, social security, pensions, rental properties, and what you're spending is called your income gap. If you've got 5,000 a month coming in from the world, and you're spending 8,000 a month, you still have a hole of 3,000 a month you have to fill in retirement, your income gap. All of a sudden, that's where your investments come to play. What's in the 401k and the IRA and in the bank and all your money. You have to look at that bucket of money and say, hey, based on this hole that I have in my income in retirement, do I have enough money saved? Number one, the answer is yes or no. Now, if the answer is no, you don't have enough money saved, This is an important consideration well before you're planning on retiring because, number one, do you need to save more, spend less, work longer. We have to make those decisions, right? right? And then at the same time, if you do have enough money saved to cover the income gap, then you get into, okay, what type of investment vehicles do I need in order to accomplish this in a very comfortable, normal, healthy manner? See, there's a Mm -hmm. process. Unfortunately, the process for most financial planners uh, goes to the last step, and that is how much money do you have? Can I have it?
0: Right. Yeah, that's the way they look at it. Of course, the way I look at it as the individual, as the client uh, of yours, I, I, I know I don't have enough save for retirement yet. My wife and I have looked at it. We're not quite there yet, uh, but we're not worried about it because uh, I'm just going to hit you up for cash, Michael, once I retire.
1: Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> Sound, sound, yeah, line. yeah,
0: yeah, no, but seriously, yeah, I mean, uh, you, the more you can save, the better. And is your financial advisor really uh, concerned with that and looking out for your best interests or trying to uh, get the biggest commission or fee from you? That's uh, so you have to find somebody who's looking out for your best interests. Uh, and uh, I think you have to look no further than Michael Mansfield. Now, we have to take a break right now. So, Michael, tell Ooh. them how they can. Set up an initial no-cost, no-obligation consultation with you.
1: Yeah, if you'd like to call in, 805-500-7035. You can set up a complimentary consultation with us. Because my new book is just getting released right now, anybody that signs up will get a free copy of my new book, How Your Financial Planner Failed You. Um, Also, visit our main website, thelindgroup.com. LIND is L-Y-N-D. But give us a call, 805-500-7035 set up that no cost consultation. We can discuss the basics of your retirement income plan, and you'll certainly get a copy of my new book, How Your Financial Planner Failed You. And we'll be right back after this. Do you ever
0: feel like you need a retirement toolkit to help navigate your retirement? Retirement can be scary, but it doesn't have to be. With our retirement income toolkit, you can get the information you need to help secure your retirement. This toolkit provides valuable information on income planning, asset allocation, tax planning, legacy planning, and more. Receive your retirement toolkit from The Lind Group right now by going to financiallytunedradio.com or by calling us at 805-500-7035. And welcome back to Financially Tuned with our host, Michael Mansfield of The Lind Group, and myself, your co-host, Tony Shore. Michael, great conversation today. We've been talking about your book, uh, which is, you know, why your financial planner has failed you, right? Isn't that the basic title of it? That, yep. Yeah, that's <laughs> Close good. Close enough. That's good. I, enough. <laughs> I haven't read this new one yet. I can't wait. Uh, I, I'm sure I'll get my copy in the mail. Now, if somebody wants to get this, uh, is it available on Amazon?
1: Uh, it will be. It's Like I said, It's today I'm getting the, the final draft tomorrow, and as long as everything's laid out correctly, we're pushing print on it, and I'm going to have a giant box of books in a week.
0: Now, you had mentioned, um, I think at the beginning of the show, that you recently had a client that had some interesting questions for you about insurance products that a lot of folks, I know that uh, all these baby boomers who are currently retiring, you know, there's this big wave of retirees. And one of the most popular uh, retirement vehicles that I've read about is the fixed index annuity. And of course, you've mentioned mm-hmm. life insurance. You know, some people are like, "Do I really need life insurance? Do I have to pay for that." Or, or what about these fixed index annuities? Because they're they're guaranteed lifetime income, which is why they're using them. But that guarantee is based on the uh, claims paying ability of the issuing insurance company. Um, so, what what questions have you been getting about that?
1: Yeah, you know, one of the big questions that that comes up on occasion. And to be fair, I even introduced the question because I think everything. Anytime you invest money with, with anybody, you want to be considerate of, of all, the, all the potential angles. And so one of those questions certainly is, what if the company was to go bankrupt? Now, the problem is, is that's a simple question with a very loaded answer. There's a lot of moving parts to the way that works with, it, with an insurance company. And especially since the onset and the popularity of fixed index annuities and insurance products, this becomes more and more important as we consider it in our retirement income plans. You know, and so what happens is, first and foremost, everybody needs to realize annuity companies are simply, at the end of the day, only life insurance companies. Life insurance companies put together annuity portfolios and offer them. And so the, the inherent benefit of that is, is you have to understand it, it's, it's a much more complicated process for an insurance company to go bankrupt than perhaps a bank have we heard you've heard the terminology right in the old days you know there could be a run on the bank where everybody shows up to the bank and wants to take their money out
0: well yep for sure i mean obviously
1: i was in the it's in the they it's not what happens in that old christmas movie we watch yeah, every year yep Black exactly
0: exactly <laughs> mr Smith, uh what is it uh it's a wonderful ah, life geez,
1: that's gonna drive me nuts yeah. it's a wonderful life there you go so You know, the same idea. Can people just show up and take their money out? Well, remember, with an insurance company, first and foremost, the risk is spread over a number of different channels of products, right? Maybe it's annuities where there's these big account values and these incomes you're getting and all of this stuff. But the other half of the company's assets are inside of life insurance. Now, Tony, do you know what the best way to get a payout on your life insurance is? Uh, What is the best way? You got to die. Oh, see, that's
0: where the problem is for me. I don't want to do that.
1: (laughs) See, yeah, you don't even want to think about it. It sounds terrible. Terrible idea. But see, that's an interesting component, unlike a bank, where everyone can just show up and try to take their money out and blow up the bank kind of a thing, is with insurance companies, half of the portfolio, half the money invested, half the things that the company does are tied up in life insurance products. Those aren't easily liquidated investments where people can just pull their money out. In fact, for many of those contracts, people have to die in order for the company to be on the hook to pay them out. So in that respect, it means that you don't have the same ability for people just to show up with their hands out trying to get their money. At the same time, it kind of happens on the annuity side. Even though you could go in and cash in your annuity and take all the money out, a lot of people in the earlier years of purchasing these insurance products have some kind of liquidity issue. They have some type of surrender penalty. And so naturally, that slows people down. If you knew that someone was going to charge you, I don't know, 8% of your account value to take all your money out, you'd probably think twice before you did it. You don't have that same problem at the bank, right? So people can show up at the bank, they can take all their money out, make a big deal out of it. It's not as easy with life insurance and annuity companies. So we don't have that same run on the bank experience. But going back to the question, you know, what are the things I'd want to identify in case my, my company did go bankrupt? And so first and foremost, you want to look at a couple things. One is obviously the credit rating of these companies is important. You know, what is Moody's and Standard Sports rating these companies? If you're dealing with C-rated companies, well, that's your own fault, right? You know, you're doing you're, you're doing business with them. The perfect example is oftentimes lower-rated companies will give you better potential returns, especially in the fixed market. Maybe the fixed return is a little higher. But think about it like this. Tony, if if you could go over to Greece right now and buy a bond that was paying twenty percent versus a U.S. bond that's only paying two percent, would you go buy it?
0: Um, I don't know. I, I would ask you. It's I, I probably would make that not. decision on my own. <laughs> I, I would.
1: I would. Call right, you. You'd ask me. But but remember, Greece regularly regularly lives in the right. world of default. They they're they're teasing bankruptcy. Right. They are in desperate need for the last few years to accumulate money. One of the things that you do is the more risk you have and the more money you need, the higher you offer someone a return, you know, the more risk, the higher the return. And so you look at something like Greece where you can get such a high return on a bond, but the default risk is extremely high there. So once again, the rating of a company, the health of the company is very important. So, you know, number one, you know, B plus and higher rated companies, certainly a rated companies offer a level of financial stability that we would look for. Certainly, the length of time that a company is doing business is another component of that. One of the other things that is a very less commonly used tool or discussion with insurance companies is what's called a solvency ratio. Solvency ratio says, hey, when you look at all of the company's assets and you add them all up and you you kind of divide it by the consumer liabilities, how much money do they have in reserve? If they have over 100 percent, what that means is they actually do, in fact, have enough cash assets in order to satisfy all of their clients' liabilities. You know, once again, there's a lot here that needs to be considered when you go company by company. What's their rating? How long they've been in business? What's their solvency ratios? There's a lot there. Yeah.
0: So obviously there's a lot to this and it's a good question uh, that your uh, client asked you. um, And I I love how you're Mm -hmm. addressing it today. Is there anything else about this we should know?
1: Yeah, Tony, and that brings up a good point. The last thing, at least initially when you consider you know, what's the fundamental difference of concern if an insurance company was to default, is the idea of leverage. You go back prior to 2008, you guys remember that kind of big thing that happened you know, in the stock market, things went down, things got a little ugly. Back prior to 2008, banks were allowed to leverage money significantly, and I can't recall off the top of my head what it was, but for every dollar that a bank would bring in, they could loan it out like 22 times. And that's why a significant amount of banks in 2008 went out of business because as the market was crashing and all these companies had leveraged out a ton of money and then suddenly you have that run on the bank where people show up and they're panicked, they want their money, banks go belly up. And so an interesting distinction between banks and insurance companies, you know, why are insurance companies so much financially stronger than banks? One reason is, is law dictates that an insurance company, a life insurance annuity company cannot leverage money. For every dollar they bring in, they can only use $1 in investing. Therefore, they don't run the same risk of a bank who leverages and borrows out money. I think these days a bank can take a dollar in and borrow it out now 9 times. Not as bad as before 08 kind of a thing. But the idea is that leverage that lack thereof inside of an insurance company once again means there's significantly much more financially solvent because they're not running the risk that if there was a, a catastrophic event, if everybody died and they had to pay out the life insurance, if everybody wanted their policies, they don't have so much leverage baked into their portfolio that they can in fact pay it out, hence that solvency ratio. So that's huge. And once again, it reinforces the stability of these, of these companies. Now, let's go down the, the rabbit hole real quick. I know we're running out of time here. But what if a company does, in fact, go bankrupt? You know, what are the things that we would identify and look for? First and foremost, an insurance company doesn't just wave its flag. An A-rated company doesn't wave its flag and say, hey, we're bankrupt. What we're looking for is we're looking for some type of trajectory. And what I mean is Standard & Poor's, Moody's, all that Finch, all these guys rate these companies on occasion. And so as they're going through and they're looking at the credit quality of the underlying bonds, the 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 cash on reserve, all these things in order to create the 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 rating of the company, we would look for that to disintegrate and downgrade. If a company fell from an A to an A minus, from an A minus to a B, from a B, you know, to a B minus kind of a thing, and it was downgrading, that would give us some type of initial indication that something is not healthy and happy inside of that company. It would cause me as a financial planner to want to look deeper into the company of what's happening in their financials that's causing these downgrades. If it was an isolated event, that's one thing. If it's something where management has changed, the bond portfolio has changed, they've done something that has changed the structure of the company that is not playing out well, that's something very different. But we want to see that because as a company was to downgrade over time, it would give us the time and the ability and the concern to decide if we needed to pull our funds out, change directions, change companies, something of that nature. Secondly, you know, one of the things that's just so interesting is it's very uncommon for an insurance company to go into receivership or bankruptcy. And that's because big companies like to eat little companies in a sense. If we saw a company was struggling, their health rate or their financial rating was declining or something of that nature. And they, if they were struggling on some level, More often than not, what we would look for is we'd look for a larger purchaser of them. We'd look for another insurance company to step in and buy them out. And then they absorb the risk. But see, a new company would be happy to absorb the risk because they want all of those clients. They want all the potential clients. They want all the revenue from the insurance agents and all the people that come into that company. So they would capture it and then they would support it. Um, And then final step is really, truly, if a company did, in fact, fall into receivership and go into bankruptcy, which, you know, if you're a if you're a financial planner, you should see this coming a mile away in a sense. But if this ultimately did happen, then it falls to the state of California. Obviously, in a in a bankruptcy proceeding, the state's responsibility is to liquidate the company's assets and try to make as many clients as whole as possible. And then there's another tier to this that basically the state has a guarantee association. Think of it like FDIC insurance. And that basically covers up to 80% of annuity account values up to $250,000 and life insurance account values up to $300,000. So there's a basic amount of, we'll say, FDI insurance on your accounts also. So there's a lot there. It's a huge conversation. It's a big thought, Tony. I realize I've been talking and and cutting you off here to try to squeeze in a huge amount of information. (laughs) So hopefully you've learned something about, you know, what if an insurance company was to uh, go bankrupt?
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's an an interesting thought. And I appreciate your explanations. That helps put it into perspective. But we're out of time for today's show. Is there anything else you want to add?
1: Yeah, Tony, like I said, if anybody would like to call in and schedule a complimentary consultation, um, you'll get a free copy of my new book how your financial planner failed you. Certainly give us a call, 805-500-7035. That's 805-500-7035. And you can certainly visit my main website, thelindgroup.com. LIND is L-Y-N-D. And as always, we appreciate all of our listeners, and we'll be back same time, same place next Saturday. So enjoy your weekend, and we'll talk to you soon.
0: Thank you for listening to Financially Tuned. Don't pay too much for taxes or retire without a sound retirement plan. For more information, please contact Michael Mansfield at The Lind Group. Call 805-500-7035 or visit their website at financiallytunedradio.com.